0: The Jericho Network on Westwood One. The following program is presented by the Jericho Network in association with Podcast One.
1: Hey you. Yeah you. Faithful listener. Do you want to help my podcast Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon Stay free to download with minimal ads? I mean I want that. I want more Rock Talk and I can assume that you want that too. Too many commercials are a drag. Well... Do me a favor and take this quick listener survey to help support the show. Your responses will help align the appropriate advertisers to my audience, which is you. And don't worry, the survey is short and completely anonymous and takes no more than five minutes to complete. Just go to podcastone.com forward slash my survey or simply head over to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. If you filled out a survey in the past, well, thank you. But we still need you to do it again, because you're doing us all a huge favor by filling it out. And thank you for supporting Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon and taking the time to complete the survey. Now, please, click away and start the survey. <laughs> Podcast One presents Rock Talk, rock Talk. with
2: Mitch LaFawn. All the rockers. All the
1: stories. This is incredible. Now, now here's your host, respected rock journalist, Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. I am your host, Mitch LaFawn. Joining me on this episode, formally. ...of White Lion. It is singer Mike Tramp. He has got a new box set out called This and That, but a whole lot more, which you can find, by the way, at www.targetshop.dk forward slash Mike Tramp. So we talk about that, and yes, we talk about Vito Brada as well. On the other side, I have Greg Schmidt from Noise in the Attic, a, a show out in Connecticut who he's also... Uh, done a lot of the KISS conventions over the year. He's worked them, he's helped organize them, and all that wonderful stuff. And so we talk about the return of Vinnie Vincent, who will be at the Atlanta KISS Expo in January of 2018. And then we end up with some KISS content, if you want. Bob Kulick, uh, brother of Bruce, has a new solo album out called Skeletons in the Closet. We discuss that with Wasp, Lou Reed, kiss, and a whole lot more. So just a lot of great content. And like the previous two episodes, I'm going to go straight into my first interview, and then we'll do the rock talk part with Greg and the Bob Kulik interview after. So here, without further ado, a man who shares the same nationality as uh, my mother, and I guess I, it is from Denmark, the one, the only, Mike Tramp. We are speaking with singer Mike Tramp, formerly, I guess, of White Lion. Is that, is that the proper thing to say, formally of White Lion?
0: I mean, you'd probably have to look into some sort of, like, dictionary and finding <laughs> out what is proper English. I certainly don't know proper English. I also would never have been able to sit down and write some lyrics. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, Mike, always a pleasure to talk to you. It's uh, It's always great to catch up
0: with you. Likewise. Now, Appreciate. this is...
1: Yeah, this is the first time that we've actually spoken on this show, Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon, but of course we've spoken many, many times before. So let's, let's get caught up. You know, the last album came out uh, in, well, earlier this year, in uh, February, maybe tomorrow. Hit number one in Denmark. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Um, talk to me about that album first, because uh, I'm sure some fans here in North America haven't heard it or haven't he- even heard that it was out. So,
0: yeah, Of course. I mean, I mean, I think I think we can't avoid when we talk about an album also to relate to, you know, the times we're living in, because when you and I met, you know, early to early 2000, uh, first time in Canada and, and, you know, here we are. 17 years later and and even even back in 2001 it was almost you know obvious of how the music business was changing and now today we almost have a non-existing music business like it was when I hit the top in 88 and 89 stuff like that so Music is, in my opinion, and kind of like, you know, split up in one way that, you know, for me, it is it is something that I do because I spent most of my life writing and performing songs. So it is something that I can't stop doing, Uh, you know, maybe somewhere in, in the 80s we were doing albums because record companies were wanting us to do albums so it was a job that we took on regardless if we were a rock band and that's what what rock bands do it was something that it's the contract says we need to deliver an album that time and then we go on tour and stuff like that these days when i go out in my music room and sit and write songs There's nobody waiting for my music. There's nobody calling me to finish an album. It is all my own decision. You know, of course, I hope that the fans out there that is still following me are waiting for new music because, you know, they have chosen to follow. But this is a one man decision, you know, that that I end up, you know, doing an album before because the songs are, are, are jumping out of me and I can't hold them back. And I say to myself, well, you know, I'll do an album, I'll get, I'll get the guys together and see what kind of like budget I can scrap together from here and there and go in and record an album, probably in the time it took White Lion to park their Ferraris and, and stuff like that outside the recording studio. And then a week later, I come out with, with a finished album that I have to admit I'm more pleased with than I was with what I did back then. And maybe tomorrow,
1: for for those that haven't heard it, I I, I have to recommend that you go check it out because it, it truly is, in my opinion, one of the finest albums that came out this year and therefore one of the finest albums you have ever made. It is it is just absolutely wonderful. And you keep popping them out. I mean, you had Nomad in 2015, Museum 2014, Cobblestone Street. 2000. I mean, you're just... You're just never stopping. So that said, since we're doing an album almost every year, are you already sort of working on the
0: next new album? Well, it, it, it's kind of it's kind of like the, it's almost I would say it would be the problem. And I appreciate you say that because I sort of feel the same way. I mean when we talk when we talk about of the opera and when we talk about you know Led Zeppelin 4, when we talk about Highway to Hell those are legendary rock albums in my world and stuff like that when you say that Nomad is is you really feel like To me, that is some of my best work and I feel that I get better and better because I start understanding what I am. I also understand that some people will write in on Facebook that Pride from White Line is their favorite album. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna, you know, you know, dispute that. That is their choice, and Pride is a fine album. But the thing is that I really, really enjoy the connection between my music and my soul and that I feel that I am not forced to do anything but what i am which is why when i go out and and, and sit down with a guitar the thing that comes out is is me I'm it's not something that has been you know asked for it's not something that's being pushed out it's something that just comes out natural so i can't stop writing and i'm i'm having so many songs coming out of me right now and and the problem is probably to think about well is it okay to release an album next year it's only been an al- a year since the last one but the thing is that you know the the the, the amount of fans that are following you is kind of become like almost like a private book club that you sort of like in are in daily contact with and so you know you share pictures of how 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 you you work back on your farm and you share different things with them. And then when the music come, they all almost glue all this together and understand where this music is coming from. So yes, it's not that I'm working on an album, but over the last couple of, of, of weeks, I mean, four or five songs have just popped out. So I know before the, the year is over, you know, the songs that I want to, want to write for, you know, or record for the next album will be there. And then it's just a matter of, of, of when I choose to bring it out.
1: Yeah, and and I'm looking forward to that. Now, you do have an exciting uh, project coming out, a box set, and I want to get to that, but I also just want to quickly talk about your tours, because your tours that that you've done, especially in North America in the last few years, are very unique, I find. It's just you and a guitar, and you have a little sort of, I don't want to call it a drum machine, but you have a little sort of little music machine that you sort of play along to. It is so intimate, and the songs take on such a new dimension just talk to me about those tours and just basically you getting into it. It's really not sexy in the sense that there's no big tour bus and, and air, jet airplanes. It's you, a car, a guitar, and a whole bunch of bars that accept to have you in. It's, it's
0: great. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's, it's just it, it's just one of those things, man. You know, it's like you know Jeff Bridges, crazy hard, man. You know, it, it you know it's 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 one of those places where when a man goes to the top of a mountain, he, he doesn't go there so he can climb. He goes up there to find himself. And the thing is that my background, which of course you know you were talking about Cobblestone Street, which which is the first of the four last album, which was the album that got me back on track. This was all about going back home to the neighborhood, going back and realizing that, you know, I was raised on Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Bob Dylan, Roy Orbison, and, you know, also at the same time, a lot of Danish folk artists. I grew up with an acoustic guitar and and, and, and my, my guitar playing never really evolved much more than to that. I mean, you know... You know, it, it sprung over to the electric guitar too, but it's always been been held back that the song would have to work in its sole form of just the man and the guitar. So when I suddenly found myself there with an album that just came about by me just saying, I have to go back to the basics I said to myself after that album was done, now what would happen if I jumped out there and did the same thing on the touring scale? And then I just, I started calling and, and emailing all my friends around the world, I said, how do you feel about that? And they started booking these shows and I rented a car in these different countries and I went out there and I said, you know what? This show and this tour has to be me coming through the front door and me leaving through the front door. That means going through the audience, sharing with the audience. No demands no asking for anything but just just you know a stage to play and and with that it became four years of an incredible um you know, connection with the world, the people and so and so. And but m- most of all, in touch with myself and and the, sh- the show grew and I brought the people back into the stores. There are a lot of my my my, you know, my comrades in rock and roll who has been doing out going out and doing acoustic shows from, from time to time. I think I took it to the max. Because these were sixty shows at a time, and I went from from north to the south east and west and 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 everything in between and you know I really made sure that any place that had a door that I could come through, I would play, and i would i that I would not you know make any form of limits and demands, you know so you know i'm 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 sort of really proud of that because it really brought me ar- around the world being able to do that because it didn't require anything but just me
1: yeah and and the shows that i saw or the shows that i've seen were just fantastic i mean just to take those big white lion songs those arena rock songs and strip them down to their core and their soul and then of course the solo stuff it, it absolutely just it, that's the mark of a true artist when it can hold up under it, those it, circumstances it, it, it,
0: you know, and I got a chance to tell people that a lot of the songs they heard from the back catalog were written that way. I mean, you know, Van Halen wouldn't go out and do it this way and ac or wouldn't go out and do it because their songs were not written in that format. But when Mike Tramp met Vito Brada, this was sort of like, you know, a, a folk country artist meeting, you know, like a flashy guitar player. And it was always what met on the table that I held the songs back, that there would be that melody and the foundation would be there. And Vito took that, you know, great guitar playing and brought the songs into the current rock world. But when all that current rock world and the big hair and the, and the tight pants and the MTV videos were removed and we had no place to go, I still sat with the acoustic guitar and could play the songs.
1: Absolutely. Now, now you mentioned Vito, so I'm going to ask you the, the Vito question. Now, we, we know there's no reunion that's going to happen. You know, that question has been asked you a million times. But my question is, why do you think people still care? What was it about Vito and you and White Lion that here we are in 2017 and in almost every interview you do, People say, are you two going to get back? What was so special about that connection?
0: You know, I don't know what was so special, except for when you listen to the songs there. You know, of all the bands we were competing against in the 80s, if you can call it that when you now go back to the catalog and you listen and, and the fans will do this and they will say that, you know, White Lion has its own place. You can't, I don't think you can compare White Lion to, to Warren or Rath. They they had their own place, you know, except for maybe, you know, the look and the hair and how we all got boxed together. So Vito Brada and Mike Tramp had no friendship together except for we played in the same band we had nothing that we shared except for the songwriting we 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 accomplished when we sat down and looked at each other like almost two chess players and something like that but when that song was written we you know we went you know Vito went home and I went out into the real world and shared my life with people he was riding my Harley if he was playing baseball whatever it was so we had nothing, absolutely nothing in common, except for we knew when we had written a great song. Yeah, and
1: and the way I look at it, in one hand, it's got to be really annoying to get that question all, all the time. But on the other hand, it's sort of got to feel good that, you know what, we did something that people, here we are 30 years later and they still care. Because there's a lot of bands in the last 30 years that nobody wants to talk about. Well, I, I, I,
0: I totally agree. I totally agree. You know, I totally agree. The thing is just that I would not want to play with Vito Breda for anything in the world. I wouldn't want to spend any time with him. We have not talked for, the, for 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 many, many years. You know, there's nothing to talk about. He has nothing to add to the table. And I will let him rest in peace because I don't need him. And I will not go back and, and, and do that. I'm performing a, a major... Uh, amount of White Lion songs with the Band of Brothers in a modern version, and the fans are embracing it because they feel it's real, and they understand that this is Mike Tramp up on stage, 50% of the of the White Lion songwriting performing the song in 2017, his way and that is makes sense. It's not Mike Tramp up there doing being white lion and stuff like that. And I have finally gotten to that moment where I really cherish and enjoy playing those songs. It just feels like it's real and it's natural in where we are today. This is not a rehashed version of a band featuring the bass player and the logo. Yeah.
1: And, and that's what I like about you. It. You've taken that music from all those years ago, and you've moved forward with it. You're not just sort of holding on to yesterday, going, oh, please look at me. You've, you've gotten a new band. You've gotten a new thing the way you tour, and it's, it's done wonderfully. But let's talk about this box set. Uh, that's coming out November 24th, 2017. It is called Mike Tramp, This and That, but a whole lot more. Five CDs, one DVD. And so let me look at some of these CDs here. You've got demos from 95 to 97, one demos in uh, 98, 2002, tour rehearsal stuff, this and that
0: stuff, assorted flavors. Um, so talk to me freak about of, this box freak of, uh, freak of Nature. Pardon me? And Freak of Nature, yeah, my this- second fan after White Lion.
1: Yeah, by the way, Freak of Nature, um, uh, we'll just do a a quick aside. That band was so darn good. I mean, wow. And that's where we first met you. You you had a Freak of Nature show. Wow. I mean, uh, if that band could come out and do another album and another tour, I would be first in line to, to... to buy a ticket and buy the CD because that was such a great band, such yeah, a great you know,
0: band. You know, you know when people. I mean, when people in life, it has nothing to do with music. When people walk a wa- walk around with 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 a certain amount of sadness in them that nothing in life can remove. No happy, nothing. You know, you just have this. That's what I carried from that three and a half years with with the band because. Not to spoil, you know, the you know, like the the story that goes with that, because in the, there's a nice booklet in the box set that I I I talk about each CD and the story behind, behind each. CD. And 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 for example, now that we're on the Freak of Nature, that the Freak of Nature CD is actually is actually the band in the rehearsal studio one week before we 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 we, we drive up from LA. To, uh, to to Sausolito, California, to record record our first album in, at the plant, and I'm recording the band there on my eight-track recorder. And the whole story behind that is that the band ended up going in and recording that live at that album live. And this is just to show how the band has had written the songs and record the song, because it sounds almost 100% like the album, except for you know that it's recorded on an A-track and Mike Tramble's the engineer. But that's the whole thing about this band. It became all about a brotherhood. setting up in a circle in the rehearsal studio, writing the songs together there on the spot, each guy playing their role, not interfering with the other guy, giving the space to each guy. It became such an incredible three years for me that that I always will call it the best years in my life, and nothing can replace that. So that CD is so special, especially because – the majority of the American audience never heard about this band. This band went to Europe and Japan and broke there and played, you know, sort of the underground scene. And when suddenly something happened that, you know, it started for some reason fraying at the ends, I said, you know what? The memories are too important for me in this band. Let's leave it with the two albums we have done and keep those golden memories at the highest level, you know, and we're still the best of brothers today. And you know what, let me finish by saying that, if I could, and this is honest, and I've even said the same thing about White Line, if I could go back and be in the vocalist, I was in 1993, singing the Freak of Nature, which is pretty much a powerhouse vocal performance. I would put the band together for a special thing and tour, you you know, where the the band could. But the truth of the matter is I can't. I have changed too much, and I will not go out and be a half-ass freak of nature singer. Talk to me
1: also about this other thing that's in the box set here, Songs from a Motel Room. What
0: is the, What are fans going to see there? Yeah, songs, songs from from the motel room is a DVD on the and the two thousand fifteen tour across the USA, sixty shows. You know, my oldest son Dylan with me was with me. You know, filming the whole tour and stuff like that. And you know, almost every other day we would perform a song or I would perform a song, just sitting on a new, you know, bed on a mot- in these motel rooms we would check and into. A, as raw as it could be just with the camera pointed at me and stuff like that so this is the whole collection eight you know in hd version of all these songs plus bonus and stuff like that where, where, where the people that follow my tram will hear these white lion songs and these solo songs just straight in the face like i was almost in the living room you know and 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 so so that's that you know and 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 you know disc one and disc two you know the demos from from you know nine. 96 or 95 to 97 and 98 to 2000 are my three first solo album. I mean, there's 18 songs on each CD of my home demos where you really see, you know, the songwriting, you know, the, the songwriting of Mike Tramp being a solo artist developing, you know, and there's a lot of the songs that ended up on those albums, but more important, there are much more songs that never ended up on the albums, but still are in in the true form. So, I mean, it's a goldmine for those people who were with me at that time on my freeze first solo albums. And, and, and as we were talking about before, when we were bringing up white lion and stuff like that, disc four which is tour rehearsals for Mike Tramp and Band of Brothers. You know, we have the luxury of, of 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 rehearsing in 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 my guitar player Sorens' big studio in Copenhagen, and it's all mic'd up and stuff like that. So you know, you know, at times we record that. So you know, we recorded some of the rehearsals, and and there are some of the big White Lion songs in those new versions. I says, you know what? I'm gonna add this to one as one of these discs. You know, because people are asking, are you ever going to do, you know, new versions of, of 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 these songs? So so there it's a killer album. And this is also where we recorded uh, or we wrote while we were rehearsing a new song as a band song, which has now been released, you know, more for the Internet, for on Facebook and stuff like that, you know, called Work It All Out with a video that sort of is becoming the teaser for this album. And so, I mean. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a special package for the diehard fans. Limited edition, hand-numbered and signed each copy by me. Yeah,
1: and for folks who want to get it, though, I'll, I'll quickly give them the link. It's targetshop.dk forward slash Mike Tramp. Um, how is this compilation different than the one that came out in 2004, I believe, called
0: the Bootleg Series? Yeah, I mean, it, it and that also had 60s. I'll, I'll, you know, a lot of the the things that was on the first box set, you know, uh, 14 years ago almost um, was. Was you know like surrounding the White Lion mystery because there were a lot of the White Lion demos, there were a lot of there were there were the first recording of the Pride album which had been scrapped and thrown in a trash can, and there were all these different things. So there's nothing that even relates to anything that's on the first box set that is on the new box set now, um... because the new box set starts in ninety three. I do want to talk about Pride
1: before we wrap up because that is one of those albums that, that marked the, the era, that marked the times, one of the biggest albums of those days. And in 2017 had its
0: twenty fifth anniversary.
1: That's right. Twenty-five years. So so talk to me a little bit about that album. Now you just mentioned that it was recorded once and scrapped and, and we've sort of heard that story before but but just just for our listeners today what is that story? What happened? Why was it not good enough to go out right straight out of the box the first time through?
0: Well, you know, the, the, the quick version is that in, in 1984, uh, White Lion went to Germany and to record our first album, Fight to Survive. We came back right after, got a major record deal with Electra Records, you know, three months later, you know, sort of as the album's getting ready to come out, they dropped the band. Just, you know, and that story, you can go back and find another place. And so suddenly the band was without a home and stuff like that. And we went back to the rehearsal studio. We were playing, you know, the New York, New Jersey, you know, Philadelphia clubs and stuff like that, building the band up like bitter as hell, you know, like, you know, and bit by bit new songs were written. So, you know, because we had this connection to Germany in 86, we went back over to Germany and recorded what would become the Pride album. And 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 besides one song, they're all on there, you know. And you know, as, as we got came back home to New York, and our managers picked us up, and we're driving in the big Cadillac back to Staten Island, and we're sitting there listening to the album on the cassette, you know, and stuff like that. You know, as we pull up in front of the house, that's just silence, and we just look look around at each other, and says it's just not good enough. And, and it, it, was just, it was just obvious that, you know, we, we maybe were in a rush, oh, 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 you know. So basically what happened was that Vito and I went, 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 just went back into the rehearsal rooms and we started rewriting these songs and, and tearing them apart and making them perfect. And which is also when we then go into the studio with Michael Wagner in January of 1987, the band... Have played these songs live for almost two years, recorded them, scrapped them, rewritten them. We know these songs inside and out, upside down, in our sleep, when we're awake, and in between. So we just go in and Michael say, Go, and we record the song. And and you know, it's one of those even it is, even if it is our second album. We call it almost our classic first album. It's the first Van Halen album. It's the the first album which has been your live set. And this is, you know, you go in there and you know these songs so well, you just play
1: them. And it it came out. Now, by the way, I just did the math. It it came out in 87. So we're on 30 years since it's come out. Who's counting, man? Wow. (laughs) But isn't that when you look back on that, isn't that amazing to think that that this album has been in existence for 30 years. I mean, that's, that's a chunk of change right there.
0: Um, I know, when I go on stage. I still play when the children cry. <laughs>
1: yeah. And, and, and that's where I want to go. Um, here is that song. When the children cry, it has taken on so many meanings. It has, it has touched so many lives. It's been just a song, but it's been a song of hope. And it's been talking to me about that song because Depending on what fan you ask, you're gonna get an entire different story about
0: how it affected them and what it means and
1: but what does you know it mean what? to you it's yeah.
0: interesting. We released that song. you know, you probably even heard me say this the, you know, tell this story when I played up in Canada and stuff again and you came to the show that you know you know, we'd written this song and it it became the third single off the Pride album to hit MTV and we're 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 on Independence Day in Indianapolis, you know, starting that night with ACDC, a, a three months tour with probably one of the greatest rock bands of all time, at just a force to be reckoned with. We're in the dressing room, ready to go on stage, going over the set list but kind of being nervous if we have the balls to go out and play the song in front of that crowd. It is easy Only two days prior to that, we had finished three months with Aerosmith. It was a different crowd, but this is highway to hell, man, for those about to rock. So anyway, you know, our manager says, man, you are the band. You got to believe in your songs. You play the song tonight. So, you know, halfway through the set, you know, Vito starts, you know, playing, playing the intro, you know, that's, you know, a little bit of light on stage and the whole audience just lights up with lighters. You know, that old old look of, of a rock concert, which was in the 80s. It doesn't exist anymore. You know, 25,000 lighters, man. And we went into the song, man, and we just got embraced by by, you know. by by this massive crowd, man, and shortly after, this song was just rising to the top and things like that. I think that maybe the majority in the 80s took this song for, you know, the classic ballad that, you know, some of the other bands had had, if it had been Bon Jovi, if it had been Maud Crew or whatever. With time, this song has taken on a whole different meaning because in 87 or, or 88, rock fans were not thinking about world problems rock fans were not thinking political rock fans were thinking about what the bands were doing backstage or at the hotel but with time the lyrics of when the Children cry are much stronger in night in in 2017 than any other songs you know were and 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 that is where the strength is and this song is just is a timeless song, and and, you know, I'm proud that in 1985, I sat in Staten Island, New York, and wrote the lyrics to this song, you know, in a comfortable home, not really wondering, you know, and I've always asked myself, where did those words come from? But you know, I was raised in Europe, and I was raised very aware of the entire world, and I've I've always had a need to keep an eye out on what was going on in the world. Yeah,
1: and it's just such a great song. And of course, that year you mentioned ACDC. Uh, you, you know, you opened up ACDC, Fraley's Comet, Aerosmith, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, Kiss. I mean, what an incredible year that must have been for you because I'm sure you were a fan of all those bands and now you're on stage with all of them. I mean, that just must have been surreal,
0: right? Yeah, of course. I'm. Ne- I, I will never forget that my heroes are the ones that paved... The the, the blacktop that my car is riding on, man. I am a torchbearer of my heroes. I will just continue what they started and make sure that in whatever corner of the world I go, I will bring anything from Dylan to ACDC to Freddie Mercury to David e. Roth along with me somehow, because I am a soldier of rock and roll, and and you know, with an acoustic guitar or with an electric guitar. I will spread the word, and I will I will stand guard when someone try to enter and break down our castle.
1: Absolutely, Mike. Always, always a great pleasure. Um, very much looking forward to the box set. Very much looking forward to the new um, album, which will hopefully come out in two thousand eighteen. And then, of course, maybe tomorrow, I will say it again. It is one of the finest pieces of music or collection of songs that you have put together absolutely stunning and completely unsurprisingly it went to number one in Denmark because it is that strong coming home is a great great song
0: I I truly appreciate it and thank you very much to all the listeners who sat through this program I truly am am honored by you know the respect you give me and also the loyalty just as a rock and roll artist and Mitch thanks a lot for the support Absolutely.
1: Anytime. Uh, how do they say this in Danish? Taxke Is that it? Is that how we say it? Yeah, you, you did this better than most people. <laughs> I try. But knowing that, of course, my mom is Danish. And as we're speaking right now, she's currently uh, in Copenhagen. So <laughs> there you go. Okay. You're right. There you go. Thank you, sir. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond.
2: Mitch LaFond.
1: Hey, Mitch here, and uh, are you in the market for a new car and want to see what others have paid? Well, in order to feel confident and comfortable that you are getting a fair price, you need pricing context. Information that empowers you to feel confident. With True Car, you will see what other people in your local market paid for the car you want. From there, you can connect with a local True Car certified dealer and enjoy a more Confident car buying experience. Using True Car, you can easily find the car you want. True Car will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want. Now that you know what a fair price is, you can feel confidence. Once you register, you'll see real pricing on actual inventory. This is a competitive pricing offered to you only by True Car Certified Dealers for an actual vehicle on their lot. It's pricing you'll see before going to a dealership so you can feel confident when you show up. With TrueCar, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. TrueCar customers are more likely to enjoy a fast buying process when they connect with TrueCar certified dealers. TrueCar users save an average of $3,000 off MSRP. When you're ready to buy, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident buying experience. Some features not available in
2: all states. Help protect what matters with ADT safer, smarter New Year sales event. For a limited time, get an ADT security starter kit. Everything you need to get started with ADT Pulse, including a security panel, keypad, a motion sensor, and two entry sensors. Plus, there's an indoor camera and key fob, all professionally installed for only $49. It's a $599 savings that comes with the warm, confident feeling of safety at home. Requires 36-month monitoring contract, QSP, and easy pay. Activation and early termination fees may apply. Certain markets excluded. Licenses available at ADT.com, Florida, EF0001121, Louisiana, F1639. Visit adt.com slash podcast but hurry this special offer now ends january 21st
0: Now
1: back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Welcome back to Rock Talk. And a big thank you to Mike Tram for that great, great conversation. I am sure those comments about Veto will be spread around the internet over and over and over again. And, of course, the new box set, This and That, but a whole lot more, comes out November 24th. Head over to targetshop.dk forward slash Mike Tramp for more. But uh, let us uh, start moving along to our second interview with Bob Kulick. New album is called Skeletons in the Closet. And I figured, you know what? Before we start talking about a guitarist who was in KISS, or ghosted, in KISS. Uh, Let's talk about Vinnie Vincent. And for that, I have Greg Schmidt on the phone from Noise in the Attic. Uh, Good day, Greg.
2: Hi, Mitch. Thank you for having me on your show. It's a pleasure.
1: Absolutely. Uh, And I've always loved what what you do. And I want to have you on here to talk about Vinnie Vincent because he will be appearing at the Atlanta KISS Expo on uh, January 20th, 2018. And you, of course, have worked Expos, you've been to KISS Expos. In fact, why don't you tell the folks some of your KISS Expo experience?
2: Oh, yeah, well, I've been doing the KISS Expos here on the East Coast. I live in Connecticut with the radio show, and uh, we would always go to the New Jersey ones that Richie Rana would put on, which were pretty much the cream of the crop at the time. This is probably late 80s, spilling into, I guess, the early 90s when uh, KISS ended up taking over right and uh yeah i would set up at the expos and sell kiss merchandise and vinnie was a guest a few times as well as ace and peter and uh and the like actually mark st john was there once
1: right and, and probably bruce uh, and probably all of these guys right so
2: yeah exactly yeah it's all coming back to me it's been a while it's been and, a while and uh yeah. So, what do you think of uh, Vinny turning up all of a sudden?
1: Well, that's it. That's what I'm going to ask. So, here at the end of August, we get this thing that Vinny Vincent is going to appear, and you, I, the internet, we all sort of went, "Sure, yeah." And they said September 1st there will be a message from Vinny, and it'll help confirm it. And September 1st came and went, and there was a letter which Vinny and
2: I can I can tell you that is his handwriting.
1: Yeah, it is. So, so yeah, so he, it he says. Lives. I am happy and excited to be seeing all of you at the Atlantic Kiss Expo, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you want to read that letter, you can certainly go find it online. And so it now appears as though the Loch Ness Monster has emerged and will be visible for all. Now, to you, is that exciting? Is it not exciting? Is it still like, well, it's just a letter we'll see on, on January 21st if it actually happened? Or where do you see this going?
2: All my run-ins with Vinny have been positive experiences. So I'm hoping he's well. I I wish him all the best. And I'm glad he's turning up and the fans get to see him. The last time I met Vinny was at one of these KISS conventions. And I have a uh, 10th anniversary tour book, you know, the Creatures of the Night one. And I have every page signed by each member. And Vinny was the last one I needed. And I said to him, Before you sign, because I was watching him sign the autographs ahead of me, and it was just the really sloppy VV, basically. And I kind of explained to him what it was before the pen hit the paper. And I said, can you give me, like, the full signature, nice and neat? And he laughed. He thought that was funny. And he really did. He, he, like, exaggerated (laughs) slow motion for me. But he was super nice. And it's like I got nothing bad to say about the dude. Now, I heard all the horror stories, so... I've never experienced him be a no-show. I don't think he's like a George Jones that I know of. But, and, uh, but
1: it's exciting. You know, listen, over the years, you know, on the on the Three Sides of the Coin podcast and other things, I have said things about Vinny which perhaps weren't nice. But my but I do wish him well. And I do wish that he shows up. And I do think it's exciting for, for Kiss and Kiss fan base and the whole right. thing. Right. You know, my, my contention with Vinny has always sort of been that he wasn't the proper guitarist for Kiss. Much like I would say the same thing about Eddie Van Halen. I don't. I love Eddie Van Halen, but I don't think yeah. he should be playing. You know, Christine sixteen, and and. But I wish I wish but, Vinny you know, nothing I, but I the can best. Say
2: that about any of them. I mean, right. There's only one spaceman, so. Right, <laughs> but that's and, another story.
1: Yeah. Uh, listen uh, I do agree that that ace I but, get it. but ace of course uh through a lot of a fault of his own, got himself in and out of that band, which is unfortunate, you know but yeah that's another story. So so you've never experienced Vinny being a no show. So you think that this Atlanta Expo is going to happen and Vinny's going to be there. But what do you think is going to happen afterwards? Is this sort of one and done? I mean and, and I and I say this jokingly, not disparagingly, but is this yeah. like a Loch Ness monster sighting where it comes out and disappears and we never see it again? Or is this sort of chapter 2 in the career or in Vinny's case chapter 3, chapter 4 where Okay, we've done one expo, two expos, uh, new music. That's what I'm
2: thinking. Now, now I hope he's well, and I hope he's in a good place in life, but I also have heard in the rumor mill that he's kind of on hard times. So it would kind of behoove him to show up and be friendly and it be a successful day, and then he can keep doing the conventions. I mean, I could kind of see it going that way i don't think he's a he's definitely not a stupid person i mean i i think that's what's best for him um
1: you know
3: what do you think
2: i mean that's
1: i'll tell you this as a music fan i hope that this is the beginning of something new and and again i'll say i'll I'll keep reiterating my only contention was that he was the wrong guy for kiss but he is an incredible songwriter i agree he's an incredible guitarist and the world is richer with him contributing to it with music. And so I hope that there's a Vinnie Vincent whatever, it, you know, another I invasion. I and
2: yeah. we can actually come full circle, because yeah. that's exactly how I feel about Vito Brada.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's like
2: one of those, why are you not out there? And Chris DeGarmo, and that's kind of, that's the short list.
1: Yeah, and, and yeah, DeGarmo... Just a step aside from from Vinny. That that is such a, a, a pity. And whether he were to go back to to Queensryche with their new singer and, and move forward, or team up with Jeff Tate, and even if he doesn't tour, just get in the studio and record another album with Jeff, or yeah. whether it's just an acoustic, but you know, but there's a lot of them out
2: there that are I missing. Think Jeff is re- well. I mean, we don't want to get into a Queensryche story, but.
1: But what about well, we could. But what about John Sykes? I mean, there are there are these great, masterful guitarists that yeah. have sort of fallen off the edge of the earth. At least from a fan's perspective. Obviously, if you know them and and you know that they live next door, they haven't. But for fans, they have. Yeah. And it's like, come on, man. Let's, I think
2: the Sykes is in the pipeline, actually. Let's hope. I think. Let's yeah, oh, that, that's even those months have gone by, haven't they?
1: Yeah, and but let's let, you know, let's hope, Vinny comes back and does something and i really don't care what it is if he grabs just a couple of new kids and they go out and do a whole set of kiss covers okay i'm down with that and if they come up with absolutely new music and ignore the past i'm down with that too
2: now are you going to atlanta
1: no i i am not going to atlanta not because um that i don't want to obviously
2: it's far for you
1: Yeah, you see, up in Montreal, to go down there in January, and and I don't want to sound like an (laughs) apologist or making excuses, but... With two I think young the roads kids. are
2: closed in Montreal at that time, aren't they?
1: Well, they should be because it's probably <laughs> going to be eighty-seven feet of snow. But no, you know, listen, my my kids are 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 just eleven and fourteen, and so when they're in school and my, I get it, and, and the mom works till seven o'clock at night, or my wife, I should say, <laughs> yeah. that almost sounded uh, rude. The same thing, actually. Yeah, it, it's it's, yeah. it's 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 difficult. So as you know, in the next like three years, I'm going to start making all these trips to all these different places to Nashville, and but for now. During the school part of the year, but I, I would yeah. love to see that, and um, you know, there you go. Now, another great show that that you and I just recently saw was that Ace Frehley at the Chance, of course, a great evening, and that was yeah. that is always uh, appreciated. But uh, you, you do get a sense that uh, he's in the wrong band; he should be in a band with some makeup on. But you know, what do you uh,
2: mean? I think that somebody is probably lobbying for that as we speak. I mean, you know. And the beat goes on, I guess.
1: Do you, do you think, and I know going this is going to enrage KISS fans, but do you think that it would help um, KISS, Gene and Paul, right now, to have Ace, given all the bad blood and, and the fake bad blood and the, and the real bad blood, and, <laughs> right, uh, would tickets? Do sales, I think it would help,
2: just, like, just help the door?
1: Yeah, like, if Ace Fraley's there, forget Peter Chris. Ace Fraley's there, Eric Singer is there, does KISS sell... 10% more tickets, 20% more tickets, or is it really at this point it doesn't matter?
2: I mean, it's speculation, but I I definitely think it does. I I would say he's good for 40%. I'm not going to say he, they're selling out Madison Square Garden, but if, you know, I think you can go from 6,000 tickets to 8,000 tickets. Yeah, I think so. I think there's right now I say they're playing to the Public at large, basically. They're playing the hits to people who, you know, recognize the makeup from Kmart or, you know, Walmart, whatever.
1: Well, and and again... I
2: think there's the really silly diehards like me that have been sitting it out lately. And I think if you pulled Ace back, I think it would help your integrity quota. And, you know, some of the musicians would come back and, and... yeah, yeah I think it would help.
1: Yeah, and it's strange that when you have that conversation and you say that it would help everybody, all are automatically says, yeah, well, "Why do you hate Tommy Thayer?" And it's like nobody hates Tommy I, Thayer.
2: Tommy's super nice. I what yes. a nice dude. I got no yes. problems with him.
1: Absolutely, yeah. but but He's there seems
2: to be that that
1: that. And I love Black and Blue. And I love Black and Blue, but but there seems to be that fan base in Kiss that love the new Kiss, and as soon as you say we should bring Ace back, they go, yeah, "Oh, you hate Tommy." It's like. Well, no, nobody hates Tommy. We just think no. that Ace. I, I, I agree. I think that Ace. Eric is should really be. nice
2: too. I got, I got no beef with those guys. I mean, some people think. Not many people know me, but those who do, some people on the internet think. Uh, you know, I, I hate those guys, and I so don't. You know.
0: Well,
1: exactly. I and like Vinny. <laughs> I like, you know, and and I I would actually be excited to see Vinny do something with Kiss and. You know, as we get towards I the end... I think that
2: ship sailed a long time ago. No, but
1: I he, he, l- l- listen to the concept that I, I think would be interesting. <laughs> Either a concert uh, tour or a couple of shows where somewhere in the set, okay, they come out and do, you know, the first eight songs with, with the current lineup with Tommy... And then they say, okay, we're going to bring out a couple of special guests, sort of like they did with the Unplug thing. And then Ace mm-hmm. comes out and does a song with them. And then he walks away, and Bruce comes out wearing no makeup, you know. And of course, they do crazy nights. Or,
2: Remember, yeah. they brought out, like, uh, I don't know, Rick Nielsen or Joe Perry or something. They brought him out to play. Yes. Yes. It's just weird if you can't mix makeup and non makeup, it just doesn't work. You have these guys that are seven feet tall. You know, you have superheroes, and then you have this like little man comes out, and (laughs) it's just odd.
1: Yeah, it's true, but I mean, there there are there are ways to fix that. I mean, you could have Bruce appear behind the drum riser and play from a platform behind the. I mean, there's, you know, there's that. Or of course, I would think you would
2: have to do that without makeup and just like like unplugged or something like that. Yeah,
1: or if not a concert performance, how about just getting, you know, Kiss. In the studio where they make sort of and I don't you know, you don't call it a farewell album, but you just sort of say, Okay, we're gonna have everybody participate on a track and Ace lays a guitar solo on once and Vinny does a guitar solo on the other, and Bruce does Happy a That
2: becomes too many cooks in the kitchen and that yeah. That's a yeah, cat. I don't know about that.
1: Yeah, but look, look at some of their greatest albums. For example, Creatures of the Night. If you actually look at all the players on there,
2: there's about 78
1: people. I mean, you know. See, that's
2: why I prefer Lick It Up. Right. Because
1: there's only like six, right? Because there's Rick Derringer. Kiss,
2: I mean, if you want to, you know, maybe somebody, you don't know, think Vinny's a real member or whatever, but he was, that's the four members of Kiss at the time writing those songs and playing those songs, and it just works better for me. It just gels. I mean, obviously, Creatures is a better cover, but I think Lick It Up is a better album.
1: Look It Up is a, might be a better album, but there was five. Don't forget that Rick Derringer uh, snuck on there, right? So, Which anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right? There's always, there's always extra. Go- anyway, yeah, anyway, yeah, speaking of guys... I don't guys, think I even know
2: this story, though, right? Rick Derringer's on Look It Up? Yes, of course. I didn't know this. He does... Uh, or I forgot this along the way.
1: He does the uh, guitar solo, and this is off the top of my... But I think on the song Exciter... Unless I'm really, mistaken. Yes. Oh,
2: see, I, I just learned something today. Yes, yes, yes. So, so That's why li- I should always listen to Rock Talk. With, with Mitch LaFawn.
1: That's right. Yeah. And, of course, now, <laughs> speaking of somebody who now has... I want
2: to know, have you ever seen Vinnie Vincent live?
1: Yes, of course. I saw the Creatures of the uh, Night tour in Montreal. That's oh, great. Wow. With, um, I believe there's an infamous story of where he went into like a nine or ten minute guitar solo with a <laughs> violin bow and the whole thing and, and the band... And I do remember that. And then I saw the Lick It Up Tour. So I saw uh, Creatures of the Night with the head pins opening. And then I saw uh, Lick It Up with Accept opening.
2: Yeah. I wonder if Creatures would have done better numbers-wise if they had better openers. Like if they had like a... a a real, not a. You know what I'm saying. A, a no, I, no, no, no. Like, act. like,
1: a, like, a, like an actual co-headliner, like, or like an
2: accept or something like that. Yeah. somebody that was selling albums, you know.
1: Honestly, Motley I crew don't, like I how don't. it
2: started with Motley Crue. Like, if they had Motley Crue, that whole tour.
1: Yeah, but I don't think so. I really think that at that time, the Kiss train or the Kiss bus had just run out of gas. I think the Elder really just said put people to sleep and. You know, people had moved on. You you had, you know, the new Black Sabbath with Dio that was emerging. You had Ozzy with Dire of Mammon that was emerging. You had that entire sort of new wave with Duran Duran and the New Romantics and the uh, Flock of Seagulls. And, and I think people had, were, were just looking for something different. And Kiss and Aerosmith and Cheap Trick were something old. Yeah. Which is strange to say, because here we are, 2007. you just met,
2: mentioned Sabbath and Ozzy. And, you know, right.
1: That. Right. But But... But the Sabbath with Dio was something new, and the Aussie with Randy Rose.
2: Visually, it was different. Yeah, they was, needed some. It was a visual age. It was MTV, so you needed new visuals, and you needed yeah, yeah to be fresh.
1: And I think they had just run out of gas, and then 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 listen, then they kicked a couple of tires and got Bruce Kulick to land uh, yeah. do do some stuff for them, and they got Vinny, and they got uh,
2: kicked tires off, or grabbed at straws. I don't know, but.
1: little little bit of both, right? <laughs> but they came back, and it turned out well.
2: They should have They should have took 84 off and then came back with Live Aid with the original band in makeup. That's what they probably should have done in, in, if Bill Coyne was still there steering the ship, maybe.
1: That's actually... You know, we're going to have to debate that on, the, on yeah, another episode, this bit, but, yeah. but if you look at Live Aid with the sort of Led Zeppelin reunion and the sort of Aussie Black Sabbath reunion, and then you threw in a kiss and makeup reunion...
2: Yeah. Th- wow. Like, if you never did lick it up, if you just, you know all right, Creatures of the Night ran out of gas, you take the next year off, and then they came back, you know, they're gone for a year and a half at this point, you came back with the original lineup in makeup for Live Aid, that could have been big.
1: That could have been huge. Now, of course, we're assuming that everybody was healthy and stuff. I don't know if Ace and Peter in 85 could have done it, could have, would have, or should have, but but for discussion purposes... They
2: they pulled Bill Ward out of... uh, (laughs) <laughs> Where you know how to mothballs at the time or, yeah mothballs wherever bill ward was like yeah you can you can make things happen you know wow
1: and i'm gonna spend the rest of the day thinking about that because just imagine you turn on the tv you see status quo start the show and I then mean,
2: dave striker we always end up back here this is yeah, we've been debating this for years
1: boy that would have changed but but honestly that would have changed the entire makeup not to to
2: yeah, mean, of, course. It would have, of course. The course of history would have been, yeah, you would have had a whole different Sure,
1: because Kiss, would, they would not then have been chasing Bon Jovi and Def Leppard, which means crazy, uh, crazy Nights and Hot in the Shade would not have existed because they wouldn't have gone that. They would have said, hey, we're yeah. a Kiss, and we're going to do by
2: And <laughs> by ninety-six, it would have ran out of gas instead of got kick-started, I guess.
1: Yeah, and of course Unplugged yeah. probably wouldn't no, exist. Anyway, it's, that's yeah. an intro. We'll have to debate that, but the bottom line here is Vinnie Vincent you, is oh, But back. I want
2: to know, did you ever see Vinnie Vincent Invasion? No, sir. Oh, all right, yeah. I think that the first tour, they were, must have been opening for Maiden or something. It was like, right? The first Vinnie Vincent Invasion, album. I think they were opening for yep. Iron Maiden on, somewhere on time. So I didn't see that, but I saw they were doing clubs the next All Systems Go. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, I literally life. haven't
1: seen Vinnie Vincent in concert since January of 1984.
2: Wow! Yeah, it's, it's overdue.
1: It's overdue, and and I will keep saying this and keep saying this because just like you on on the internet, I have a reputation for ripping on him. I have, I, I, I really want to insist I don't rip on him as a person. I just didn't think he was a fit for Kiss, and I'll keep saying it. You know, Neil Pert should not be playing drums in Kiss and and Vinnie Vincent should not have been playing guitar. <laughs>
2: that's my I, that's my defense for Peter Chris all the time. It's like I always say, yes, Neil Peart is a better drummer than Peter Chris. I don't want him in Kiss, you know.
1: Yeah. And and you same know. thing and it's my exact defense with C. C. DeVille and Poison. You can say Richie Kotzen technically I,
2: I love C. C. DeVille. I think he's totally underrated. I'll take I'll take his guitar solos over Richie Kotzen's every day of the week.
1: Yes. Yes, in Poison absolutely. Richie might be a better yeah. technical player.
2: Oh yeah, but that, that But there be is
1: only me. one guitarist for Poison and and people yes. say well Slash tried out for Poison. Slash in Poison would just have been awful. A blues-based talk dirty to me would not yeah. have been good. And, and we all you, know you that wrote Slash all those is riffs awesome riffs too, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, let let us get move on to <laughs> uh, Bob Kulick who of course uh Spent some time behind the scenes in KISS on KISS Killers. I, I believe he might have done some stuff on Creatures of the Night, but he certainly helped out on KISS Alive, too. He has a new album that you will hear about in a second, and I will be right back. Thank you, Greg. Oh, and by the way, oh. we forgot a couple of things, Greg. Oh. Let, let us not wrap yeah. up. I am not wrapping up with Greg, because, Greg, where can folks find you on the Internet?
2: I have a radio show based out of Connecticut, but you can find it on the internet at noiseintheattic.com, and that's noise with a Z. And, uh, yeah, please, you have some time, give it a listen, and uh, let me know what you think. Yes,
1: or as we say in Canada, noiseintheattic.com with a Z. Oh, there you go. There you go. So there you go. Thank you so much
2: for your time. It's always a pleasure, Mitch.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, hey, Vinnie Vincent's back, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. The world is now a better place. Agreed. Thank you, sir.
2: All right. Thank you. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon.
1: Rock Talk. And a big thank you to Greg for that discussion about Vinnie Vincent and Kiss. Uh, let's move on to uh, Bob Kulik. He, of course, played on a couple of Kiss albums, though nobody knew it at the time. He has his own album for, uh, for a change, a solo album which he has never done before called Skeletons in the Closet. So without further ado, here is guitarist Bob Kulik. We are speaking with guitarist Bob Kulick. The new album is Skeletons in the Closet. Uh, Bob, it is a great, great pleasure to speak with you and to talk about a solo album for a change. You know, we've spoken before and it's always been, well, you're the brother of and you did this, uh, you know, tribute to Aerosmith. And you, but we never say, hey, Bob, we did a solo album. So this is great. This is new.
3: It is new, Mitch, and thanks again for having me aboard here. Um, It is something brand new, something I've never done before. When I wanted to do a project, I would get a band together. In this instance, after losing my studio uh, and changing my life by moving to Las Vegas, my girlfriend suggested to me that I get some songs together and finally, you know, put my f- one foot before the other and put out a solo record. It's never too late. And then introduced me to Bobby Ferrari, uh, who wound up co-producing my record, who has this fabulous studio here in Vegas, Vegas Recording. And alongside Doug Katsaris, my old balance bandmate, we were able to whip up four original songs, the, the first four on the, on the record. And... With those three things in place, I was able to get started and gather the uh, other participants.
1: So so talk to me about the reticence in the past, because you've always sort of been the behind-the-scenes the guy. Even your, your participation with the KISS records, you were the behind-the-scenes guy. Was it just uh, a fear? Was it just, I'm not ready? Was it just, no, 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 I'm just happier doing this? What sort of kept you from saying, yeah, I'm going to take that step? Why did it take the girlfriend to say, hey, let's take this step?
3: Well, I think a lot of it had to do with first the fact that I'm not a singer. So it, it's hard to be the front person of a band if you're not the singer. Not that it's impossible, but it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, a, a good example I would use, not that I'm comparing myself to him, but I'm, I'm just using it as an example, Carlos Santana has had 20 singers with a huge band to help flesh out what Carlos Santana is, you know, my attitude was when I wanted to do something like this, as I said, I would put a band together. In this instance, realizing that I could actually have different singers on each song, different band on each song, like some of the projects that I had done in the past, that this would be a really good way to keep things fresh and to have specialized people on Song, so we wanted a gruffer vocal, and so on. Goldfinger, the cover song, we used Vic Wright, who has a gruff voice as part of his uh style, although he has a, a, a regular singing voice as well. We opted to use that, and it sounded like Alice Cooper, which is what we wanted it to sound like something with teeth. And and so, you know, up and down the line, you know, Dee Snyder for London, uh, a gruff vocalist singing a song that. Uh, has a, a lot of weight just in terms of the lyric and the melody, so I think we we tried to cast the parts properly, uh, especially with the singers um, but now I feel comfortable uh solo record with my twenty three piece
1: backing band and it's and it's not a bad backing band um you of course wrote the uh the song not before you with your brother. And down on the track listing here, you've got uh, Guitar Commandos with your brother. Talk to me about working with him on this project, because you, you've certainly done stuff in the past, but specifically working on your solo album with your brother. How was how that for you?
3: Well, it it didn't even start like that. It, uh, we tried to write a few tunes. We put together the piece of music uh, that is not before you. Uh, But then when uh, Doug Katsaris got a hold of it, he rearranged the pieces of music and made it a more readily uh, acceptable song as it is now. So uh, Bruce was excited because at first we were just trying to write some stuff just to have a little stockpile of a few tunes to see if we might be able to do a Kulick Brothers thing. But he's been so busy doing his thing and the grand funk thing and all the other stuff he's been working on that it just you know, doesn't seem to be able to get going. So he was like, take this tune, use it for your uh, solo stuff, which I have. And then the Guitar Commandos thing was the song that we did uh, back in the day with Skull, the dueling guitar solos at the end and in the middle. So I thought that that would be appropriate, you know, for the back five songs using that one as one of the ones that uh, should be revisited. And so, so now finally with, you know, India and Skeletons in the Closet and Can't Stop the Rock, Eyes of a Stranger and Guitar Commandos, those five songs as the back end of the record, The Skeletons from the Closet, you know, uh, I'm happy that they're on the record now. And, and to have two things with my brother, I think, is, is a good tease for the future.
1: Yeah, and a good tease for the, for the KISS fans. And, of course, India being the Murderer's Row song. Um, you mentioned gruff vocals, and uh, I recently interviewed Graham Bonnet, and we talked about uh, Blackthorn, the band. And the word gruff vocals came up, that, that, that was sort of a, a style or, or what you were trying to get out of him in that project, and he sort of mentioned that it was difficult for him to get it done. Um, talk to me about the Blackthorn band, because when you look at it, you... Graham Bonnet, Frankie Benelli, Chuck Wright. I mean, that is a superstar band. Um, Talk to me about making that first album and and, and sort of what happened. Why didn't it get to that next level?
3: Well, I think the reality was that uh, on paper, as you pointed out, it looks like a supergroup. But, you know, when you get in the studio and see what's going on, you know, Graham was trying to be more of a pop singer at the time. Let's face it, it's a lot easier to sing pop songs than it is to be screaming your nuts off all the time. But he's one of those guys who sounds incredible doing it. And and if you remember, at the time of us doing this record, everybody was just looking for the heaviest stuff possible. And then we started writing material. This is what was coming out. You know, everything that was more of a pop edge just seemed to not work. You know, and... You know, Graham at the time was like, I wish we could do Beatles songs. And I'm like, look, if if that's what the market wanted, I'd be happy to play some Beatles songs. But, you know, we, we need to write some songs and try to create an identity of our own, which I thought we did to a certain extent. But it, he wasn't comfortable doing it. I understand. Um, it's not that he was incapable, as the record proves. It right. sounds awesome. Uh, it's just that it it's not what he personally wanted to do, which I understand.
1: Yeah, and of course, uh, that album had Over and Over, which was a Kulik-Kulik collaboration. Um, and then just before I move on from Blackthorn to some of the other stuff in, in your past, uh, Blackthorn 2 came out recently in the last two or three years. It had never been released. Um, was it disappointing that that album sort of fell through until sort of these re-releases came out?
3: Well, let's be clear. The, the, what was released as Blackthorn's second record is the demos. right. Those were the the demos that would have been... The second um, album. The the, the second album. Okay. So, you know, um, I'm happy that people got to hear them, and Graham's got some really great performances on there. He's a great singer, you know. Uh, But it really had no bearing on this project, uh, except that I didn't take anything from Blackthorn because we had already made that arrangement.
1: Can we go back to, to some of your, your past? Because I, I want to talk about Coney Island Baby with with Lou Reed. You know, for, for the metal community, a lot of people think of Lou Reed in, in the more recent times with what they did with Metallica and stuff, and they say, oh, you know, Lou, 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 Lou. But here's a guy who had a 50-year career, obviously touched a lot of people. What was it like working with Lou and... What did he bring to the table and to the studio that you could learn from? Uh, Because, you know, he he was a well-respected artist.
3: He was more than a well-respected artist. He was an artiste. Um, David Bowie, Lou Reed, John Cale, Nico Velvet Underground, um, David Bowie, Ronson. That little clique of people, very, 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 very special. Artists. Not not just somebody who was a singer and wrote a song about something he thought about. Lou Reed wrote songs about his life. It was uh, just like David Bowie, you know. They they were able to have experiences that they could share. Uh, Lou Reed's a lot of Lou Reed's experiences were drug experiences, waiting for my man, heroin, that stuff. So when I worked with him, he was just coming out the other side of that trying to do this more pop record. Uh, but the problems still remained. And it, it was it was a very volatile situation working with somebody who uh, lived on the edge. You know, he was um, somebody who dabbled in drugs, as everybody knows. Right. And uh, at the time I worked with him, no less. Uh, but I learned so much from watching somebody who wore his emotions on his shirt There's somebody who took it as seriously as you could possibly take it. Not that I didn't take it seriously like that, but his lyrics and his, you know, his whole thing uh, was very much uh, a statement of who and what he is and a statement, and observation of the world. Uh, Not many people can do that. He was a one of a kind for sure.
1: Let me, uh, do we want to go wasp before we go kiss or do we want to talk a little bit about kiss? Whatever you like. All right, so let me let me head over to, to Wasp first. Um, here's another guy, uh, and I don't want to say that Blackie Lawless is like Lou Reed, but he's certainly, um, well, the public perception is that he's more of a darker kind of uh, personality and persona. Um, talk to me about Crimson Idol and coming into that, because here you are, you know, you're on the album, you're doing some touring with him. Uh, you're working again with Frankie. Oh, in fact, this was before Blackthorn. So, Frankie Benelli's on these tracks. Um, what was it like putting that album together? Because, you know, you had done the Lou Reed, you had done some of the Kiss demos, but now we're talking more of a metal approach or a harder rock approach. Uh, talk to me about working with Blackie and that album, Crimson Idol, considered one of his best. Well, by I, I, the well, way, I'm sorry. Considered one of his best, by the way.
3: Yeah. Uh, I had already done a lot of the KISS stuff before we did Wasp, so I'd I'd already had a lot of practice at dealing with this kind of circumstance um, where somebody specifically knows what they want and they want to tailor it to that. Um, He had a lot of choices of guitar players. He really loved my approach on the idol. That was the main song on the record. And, you know, um, just my lyrical playing on that alone uh, I think impressed him by the time we got to uh, Hold On To Your Heart and Chainsaw Charlie and some of the other songs. I was able to just come up with some quick motifs that I thought worked really good and some flashy licks and stuff. But, but the idol, you know, it, it really needed uh, that Dave Gilmore, Pink Floyd touch the slow bend notes and, you know, the soaring lead that I put on there. Um, we had a great time doing it. It was, uh, um, it took a while. Uh, Blackie was uh, uh, manning the uh, uh, the Studer punch-in machine at the time. So he was punching me in and out, you know, pressing record and then pressing stop uh, as it were back in the day. And uh, we, we had a great time doing it. Um, I, I wished that the circumstance were different, that I could have been more involved in the whole record than I might've felt better about his offer or joining the band. But at the time, you know, I was about to put my producer hat on and uh, I just felt that, uh, you know, playing on the record was great. Um, I wasn't so sure I wanted to have the live experience unless it was a real, real band. Um, and so I passed on that. But, Every time I listen to the songs I played on those couple of records with Blackie, I always feel the same way, like, stuff sounds great. You know, I, I'm really proud of it.
1: Talk to me about the live experience, because you had, of course, done stuff with Meat Loaf in, in the past, and and you had done the, uh, the tour with Paul Stanley and, and other, other touring. Uh, was that just not to your liking to be out on the road? Was it too difficult, or was it simply, listen, I had a family... So what was the the, the motivating factor to say, you know what, I'm better behind the board twisting knobs than out on the stage?
3: Well, I I, I just felt that uh, since the opportunity was now there for me to produce um, and that, you know, I would just be a replacement part in a band uh, with Blackie, I, I kind of felt that, you know, being in charge and having a studio And being able to do some stuff that I'd always wanted to do, including some stuff for me, uh, just seemed like the the better choice at the time. You know, would I have loved to have played with them? The answer is everybody knows, of course. Of course I would have loved to have gotten on stage and dished out those solos. But, you know, I had to prioritize and just seemed like, you know, I played in enough bands on the road. I wanted to get into the studio.
1: And you wanted to be the boss. You wanted yeah and and I wanted to have more control. autonomy. Well, uh, control. was was that so based solely on your own personal experience or were you watching your brother in in other bands not being sort of the boss going Ugh, yeah that's not for me. I mean what Well No we're the, I, okay.
3: I, I really I really his circumstance had nothing to do to with your you. decision to do it or not.
1: All right so 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 as a Kiss fan I have to ask the kiss questions because that's that's what we do. It's it's sort of the geeky thing to do. Talk to me about that that audition that you went to back in the early 70s. What was that experience like? Were you sort of, you know, hey, it's it's a Saturday afternoon in New York. I'm going to go audition and just for fun, or was this like, man, there's this really band I've heard about them and I really want this gig? I mean, how much of it was audition for audition's sake and how much of it was I want this gig and let's go knock it out of the park.
3: Uh, The Village Voice was the place where one would go to see advertisements for people looking for singers, bands, guitar players, whatever. Uh, And and it was, I used to get the newspaper every week. It came out once a week and I would always scour the musician's section to see what was going on. Uh, I had no idea who this was. Nobody had any idea who it was at the time. Uh, the part of the ad that intrigued me was looking for Led Zeppelin style guitar player. So, you know, uh, Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, those were, those were my guys. And Jimi Hendrix, those four guys are my guys. And George Harrison, so those five guys. Um, so, uh, you know, went down there, you know, no preconceived notions, met Gene and Paul and Peter. And we played through a song or two, jammed for a while, talked for a bit, and that was it. And then Paul called me a couple of weeks later and, you know, explained to me what was going on. We love your playing. We love the way you play. And, you know, the guy that played after you, you know, he just fit the band better, which I totally understood. And he was like, let's keep in touch, which we did. And then subsequently all of a sudden became friends. And then the rest happened.
1: Yeah, and the rest is actually quite, a, quite spectacular, and in fact, when you look at all the history from Alive 2 to the Paul Stanley solo album to all this stuff, the first question is, well, why weren't you the guy that replaced Ace? I mean, why didn't you get that call, or did you get the call and turn it down? I, I did replace Ace.
3: Well, yeah. So, Kiss the 2 is me. Right. On the studio side. Right. Kiss Killers is me on those songs. Right. So, I did replace him. On record, right, on numerous songs, and for me, it it was my uh, way of uh, processing. This is what I would have sounded like. This is what Kiss would have sounded like with me in the band, and it was a pretty good version of Kiss, I thought. So now we cut to twenty seventeen and all of what's going on between the audition now. And here my brother and I are going to be playing a set on the KISS cruise. How ironic.
1: Yeah, isn't that great? Well, in fact, let me, let me just forward to, to 2.17 and the KISS cruise. Uh, what can sort of fans expect from that set? And, and will it lead to more of you and Bruce playing and, and heading out there and, and doing shows together?
3: The uh, answer to the first part of the question is you can expect KISS songs that are attached to all, us personally. So there'll be whatever songs uh, Bruce feels personal about with his involvement. Mine obviously probably will be more the songs that I played on with them obviously. Um, so, but we're working on the set list now and uh, I think everybody's gonna be really happy. It's gonna be a, a great show and we're using Todd Kearns and Brent Fitz uh, as our rhythm section and Todd's gonna be singing. and. All, all of the participants are actually on Skeletons in the Closet, which is great. So, you know, we may do a song or two from that. We'll just have to see. We're about to get into it now.
1: And, and since you have uh, Brent with you and, and, and Bruce, maybe you can throw in a couple of uh, union tracks because folks folks always love those, right? We'll see. We're working on the set
3: list. We'll see what, what sticks.
1: Um, some other things, just... Uh just and I don't want to beat the the kiss thing to death, but listen, it's a kiss fan. That's what we do. Um, did you or did you not play on Unmasked?
3: Unmasked was uh, Naked City, and it was the song that I wrote with Gene. Right,
1: and you had a so chance. It's
3: not, didn't really play. No, it's, it's it was it was a, a writing thing.
1: Okay, it was a writing thing? Because the rumors are out there that you did the solos and so on and so forth. Um, no,
3: no, only wrote, only wrote co-wrote that song on that record. That was it
1: now uh kiss killers of course you play on the four new tracks nowhere to run partners in crime and all that stuff uh it was in sort of the same time time area as creatures of the night do you think that you're anywhere on the creatures of the night album
3: no okay even though i I played some solos on this that and the other thing they wound up not being
1: used it's time for a deluxe reissue with you on there um, yeah, <laughs> it really is it's, which by the way is one of their greatest albums um, and talk to me about your brother Bruce um, you know when he when he joined the band at your behest you sort of helped with that um, how, were you sort of just the proud brother were you the jealous brother were you the coach and saying hey I watched your show last night you should try this and this uh, just talk to me about how that that unfolded for you well
3: we both are you know, pretty much the same style of guitar playing. And it, it just seemed like I'd done my, uh, contributed to several of the records various disguises as we just discussed. And it, and I had moved on as far as playing with other people and having a band of my own with balance and all that stuff. It just seemed that I wasn't going to be the guitar player in this band. They needed somebody with long hair who was tall and could fit in with them. And, and that's what happened, you know, you know, I made the suggestion and it finally stuck, you know, unfortunately it stuck because of what happened to poor Mark St. John. But, you know, this is just part of, you know, stuff that uh, Bruce the Rye or the band had nothing to do with. Nobody knew he was going to get sick and then have to be replaced. So it was just something that happened. But, you know, I would say uh, Bruce's fate was to be in the band and mine was to, be sort of the, the fifth Beatle, be the fifth member of Kiss, you know, so that's the way I kind of at
1: it. <laughs> the one in the background. Now, of course, with uh, Skeletons in the Closet uh, being released, is there a chance that you will be on a f- sort of full-fledged tour, you know, 20 dates, 30 dates, 40 dates, or is it just, here's the album, and I'll go do the Kiss Cruise, and I'll go do this whatever convention, or I'll go do the... What is sort of the prospects for live music from Bob Kulick?
3: Well, we're talking to some agents now, so um, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to do some European shows and try to do some shows here. Uh, hopefully the uh, Kiss Cruise will jumpstart a lot of it. Let's see.
1: Well, well Let's hope. Let's hope. Um, and then I'll ask you a couple more questions here before, before we, we wrap up. Um, Meatloaf, you, of course, uh, worked with him and uh, the Live at Wembley album. There was a guy in that band. Uh, with you a gentleman named Alan Merrill who happened to have written one of the greatest songs in rock history I Love Rock and Roll that he performed with his band The Arrows Joan Jett uh, took it over in the 80s did you ever have a chance to write with Alan or did you ever have a chance to discuss the writing of that song with Alan uh, yes as
3: a matter of fact we did write some, some songs I don't think any of them ever came out but we did write some songs and I, I was the one that got him the gig in the band Wow. Cause we were we were hanging out together at the time, and you know he he did uh, he played rhythm guitar and did, did some really good background vocals, so he was, uh, it was a useful part for the band. Yeah, and he was a good friend at the time, but I haven't seen him recently, and you know I really never really got into discussing the I Love Rock and Roll thing other than. Anybody who can be a part of a song like that deserves the credit, the kudos, and the money.
1: Yeah, they really do. It's, well, yeah, and, and unfortunately, I've spoken to him in the last year, and <laughs> he didn't get the money, unfortunately. So, eh, poor guy. Um, uh, so there we go. Um, what else is new? What else after this? Is, is this sort of a, a one-and-done solo album, or has this sort of awoken the juices where, you know what, number two is going to come in 2018?
3: Yeah, I'm definitely open for more. Um, Gene contacted me. Gene Simmons contacted me about putting some of the old original songs that I had written with him on a box set. So that's coming up down the road. And uh, Motorhead is taking of the songs that I produced for them uh, and using them as part of the undercover record that they're putting out of Motorhead covers which I did God Save the Queen and Whiplash and Jumpin' Jack Flash and Shoot him Down. So I have four songs on that. So, you know, I'm keeping pretty busy with a bunch of stuff that's going on. But uh, I'd like to do some shows with this and hopefully get a shot at doing a second record.
1: And that would be great. And any more uh, tribute albums coming or or is that sort of to the side for now and just focus on Bob the solo artist?
3: Yeah, you know, I I did those because people seemed to want to hear them and the concepts were good and we got some great people and and that branched out into, like, the Christmas record, which was not a tribute record, but a fun record, uh, or the Sinatra record, taking those Sinatra songs and doing them up metal style. You know, if if I come up with a couple of concepts that would work and that I could get some really great people and have a label to... uh, uh, you know, be passionate about it like the old days. Then sure. But other than that, I've moved forward. Yeah, you have moved I'm forward. Looking forward to, uh, you know, concentrating on my own stuff for a change.
1: Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be great, Bob. Always a pleasure. And uh, the album, by the way, uh, "Skeletons in the Closet." I've had a chance to hear it. It sounds great. It's just a powerful album. So, uh, you know, folks, thank out you very definite, much. Yeah, definitely check thank it out me. and uh, say hi to Brent for me. I haven't spoken to him in a couple of years.
3: I will did you have a favorite
1: track? Uh what was the one I was listening to? Hold on here. I was down to uh let me look at what my player is Hold on, where I stopped it. I stopped it it was uh Can't Stop the Rock with David David Glenn Isley, because I was uh, yes. I was looking at that whole connection to the SpongeBob thing and I said I got to hear uh what's he what's he what he's doing with Bob on this album and uh, that one really stuck because uh, I don't know. <laughs> Great, but there are just a lot of great, great rock songs on there. It's just, you know, thanks, and really the, appreciate it. Uh, Murderer's Row, I don't want to call it a cover because it's not really a cover since you were in Murderer's Row, but uh, India is just oh, in a.
3: Yeah, these are the original versions, so they're, it is what it is.
1: Oh, that's the. Okay, I thought it was a cover.
3: These are the original uh, versions remastered.
1: Ah, okay, I thought they were re records. Ah, so no. there you go. Well, then, you know what? It sounded great then, and it sounds great now. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Mitch. Appreciate it. Anytime. Anything else you need, just let me know. Yes, absolutely. All right, you take care. You too now. Bye-bye. Download new episodes of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn every Monday at Podcast One and on the Podcast One app.
2: Or you can subscribe at iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share.
1: President Trump denies it. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. President Trump denies on Twitter using vulgar language when questioning why the U.S. would accept more immigrants from Haiti and African nations. 17 dead, 43 missing in Southern California after Tuesday's heavy rain and devastating mudslides. Santa Barbara County Sheriff Bill Brown is asking people to evacuate some areas so search and rescue crews can do their jobs.
2: It is seriously impacting The ability of search and rescue, public works, other first responders and repair crews to clear roadways and to engage in search and rescue, repair and damage assessment operations.
1: Missouri Governor and former Navy SEAL Eric Greitens is now under investigation after acknowledging an extramarital affair but denying anything more, including accusations that he tried to blackmail the woman into keeping quiet. I'm Rita Foley.